What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, you know what? It's a new month. Is it? Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking to myself that we should probably have something like a month called Support Our Supporters. Support Our Supporters? Support Our Supporters. We've got some people who support our show. Yeah. And I want to show them some love. Okay. Yeah. So we've got someone who is regularly supporting our show, who's the industry buffet himself, Jason mm-hmm. Furman mm-hmm. from Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick. Yeah. I know you're a fan of Jason's equipment. You know what? Sometimes I get these ideas in my head. Mm-hmm. Let's go I'm with it. Like, Jason, with I've got this idea for a tug and I want it to be this big and this round and made of leather. Yep. You got one? He goes, no, that doesn't exist, you idiot, but I can get it made. I go, do it, sir. He's pretty good like that, the old buffet, isn't he? Yeah. We should get Teespring. The buffet. The- <laughs> Teespring merch, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Support the buff head. Support the buff. Yeah. But we've got people in other parts of the world that are supporting Yeah, you know who's not a buff head? Tell me. Machlepoint. Machlepoint is French for Mark. For not a buff head. Yeah, for not a buff head. And he is from? Canine Dynamics. Canine Dynamics. In Canada. Yep. Please don't slow this one down. <laughs> <laughs> so if I were in North America, that's where I'd be getting my, yeah. my working dog equipment from. He's got a great array of gear as well. It does. Yeah. Yep. And he's a very generous guy. Yeah. Mm. You know who else is a supporter of the show? That would have to be Kindred Canine. Mm. Mel Benware. Our good friend Mel Benware. She has got to be one of the best travel to your home, train the dog in your home dog trainers. Absolutely. In the area that she's in, which Richmond, is- Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> Or Ashland, Virginia. She yeah. comes from Ashland, Virginia, but she services all the area around there. She's been a great support for the show and also a great support for the International Association of Canine Professionals. That's right. Who we are proud members of as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're in Australia and you need dog equipment, mm-hmm. Jason Furman. Einswick Dog, dog Quip. Yep. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick. If you're in North America, you yep. need working dog equipment, Mark Point. <laughs> Canine Dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're in Ashland, Virginia, yep. or Richmond, Virginia. Yep. In that general area. Yep. And you need pet dog training. Melanie Benway. Melanie Benway. Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Yep. That's it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. There was a bit of funny banter going on about that online. People were getting a little upset that we're not taking turns doing our- Was there? Yeah. Didn't you see it? I think no. Kerr Eben put it on there. Really? Yeah. All right. Start again. No. Do the intro, Glenn. No. Not going <laughs> to. Well, you don't like Kerr? No. <laughs> oh, how dare you? No, I Such a lovely man. I don't even know him. I what? only know I only know him online. Have you never met him? I've never met him. Oh, Kerr's great. Yeah. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. He seems quite intellectual. Yeah, can train a dog. He's mm. a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Like Kerr. <laughs> I neither don't like him or like him because I don't know him. 
I can give you a nudge towards like if, like, you'd, okay. if you'd like. All right. Well, then I like you. Like and respect. Yep. Yep. Good guy. I, I like respect it. your assessment criteria of people, so mm. I like you, Kerr. I didn't see that. You didn't see it? No. He just asked why you do it, and I said, well, I'm busy producing the show, so it makes sense that yeah. you're- You push the start button. <clears> and I push then the you, start button and monitor the- You nod at me knowingly. I do, yes. But who gives a fuck, really? Kerr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Great start to the Touché. show. Yeah. What's going on? A couple of things. There's lots of things going on. We had some, like always, a bit of a recap on last week. We had some very good feedback. A lot on, of feedback. Yeah. On No More One More Time. There's been quite a few people who have contacted me personally just in notes. And what they're saying is they feel really guilty about it. And it sort of highlighted the fact that they have made some errors in training, which is fundamentally why we put it up, because I don't know any trainer that hasn't. There's an old saying in any industry that in order to make an omelette, you have to break some eggs. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when we're learning and when we're fumbling and stumbling our way through it, and this happens periodically through stages of our life when we're learning a system and then we're relearning new systems, we're making mistakes. However, the one thing I really enjoy about the robustness of dogs is that they're very forgiving as long as they can see an out to it. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this on a lot of shows, it's always something that I mention in student groups as well, is that if you can show a species a mechanism of control, if they can understand how to operate that, they will forgive you for it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you continue to make the same mistake over and over again and they cannot see a fundamental way out of it, that itself highlights a problem. I guess what I'm trying to say is for people who are feeling guilty about it, Try not to make the same mistake over and over again. Identify that you are making an error and then come back to it and say, all right, how do I prevent this from happening again? And that's sometimes when you really do need to outsource, when Mm. you do need, you know, as we mentioned on last week's show, that you really do need to invest in that second set of eyes and get someone out to have a look at you or video what you're doing. We've portrayed that message quite significantly. And I guess if you want to relieve your guilt, do that. That's Mm. the best advice that I could give you. Yeah, sounds good. Mm. So, should we address the e collar thing? Yeah, I think we should because it seems to be something that's quite surmountable in what's happening in the United States at the moment. We're behind the eight ball a little bit because that actually happened literally hours after we recorded the last episode. Yeah. And then, you know, it's a week later and these don't come out for four or five days mm. till after we've recorded them. That's right. By the time you're listening to this, it's kind of old news. Mm. But yeah, with a large uh, chain. Yeah, pet chain. Uh, yeah, no longer selling e-collars. Yeah, and put a public message out about that too to really, I don't know, I guess they not only decided not to sell them but kind of shamed them at the same time while they did it. Yeah. You know, the public message was we want to distance ourselves from these tools and we don't support them or want to have anything to do with them. Mm. Well, and that's their choice as a business, I guess. Every business has the right to refuse or stock an item. However, I think the disappointing thing, I'll speak for myself and then you can chime in when you're ready. Sure. I think the disappointing thing for myself is the United States is quite liberal in its approach to what they can and can't do. You know, they have a constitution over there which is very protective of people's rights. And I think that unlike Australia where we've got such a division in- you got to just explain, you mean liberal in the Australian use of the term, not the American use of the term. Yeah. Because we understand them to be different things. Okay. Yeah. So liberal by Australian use of the word means like open, whereas liberal by the American use of the word means leftist. Ah. Yes. 
we use those things really differently in that like the conservative political party in Australia is called the Liberal Party. That's true. Right? Yeah. And to be liberal in America is to be more left of centre. Okay. Not necessarily leftist, but Mm -hmm. left of centre. Well, let me rephrase that context then. I think with the constitution in America, they're far more open to people's individual rights and protections. Yes. However, when you go back to Australia, we have so much of a variation in law diversities that between states, it's almost incomprehensible how they even come up with these things. Like, for example, and we've talked about this before, in Victoria, you're not allowed to use the prong collar. That's illegal. But you can, in some circumstances, use a remote trainer. In New South Wales, you can, by law, use a prong collar. There's no prevention apart from the deemed act of cruelty through some of the animal welfare groups. However, it has to be a proven act that you've used it in a cruel manner. Yet, you're not allowed to use a remote trainer, but you are allowed to use a containment system, which is fundamentally a remote trainer on a wire trigger that's in the ground, which is confusing as hell. Can we just talk about that for one second? Yes, please. Chime in. That is an interesting thing. Mm. So from my army days, Mm -hmm. anything the way you set it off, right, we would call that a command-initiated device. Yep. Right? A person is in control of whether it goes off or not. Yes. Anything that is like a victim-initiated device, Mm -hmm. right, is illegal as per like Geneva Convention. Right. So we as the Australian Army, and I'm sure this is for most sort of Western countries, like we can't booby trap, Yeah, right? That be- makes sense because you can't control or you have no control who sets it off and exactly. it could be a child or a woman. That, that's or, exactly right, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have to, you can lay a, an ambush, yep. but you can't say use a tripwire on that ambush right. because you need to be the decider of whether it goes off or not. So yep. a claymore device, right? So a claymore is like an old school mine that you put in the ground, 750 ball bearings that come flying out at- like the speed of knots, great speed of knots, that can be set off via a tripwire. We are not allowed to do that. You have to have somebody who keeps his eyes on it Mm -hmm. and decides whether it goes off or not, right? And that's the opposite for the way that electronic devices are used on animals in New South Wales. We have taken the responsibility off of a person and Mm -hmm. the ability to make a good decision to say like, this is the moment and this is, I will right now decide the timing Mm-hmm. the intensity and the frequency of the stim that I'm providing the dog. Mm-hmm. We've taken that out of people's hands, yeah. I suppose, because, you know, I don't know why that law was written in the way it was, but it seems like it's because we don't trust people to make good decisions. And we've put that in the hands of an autonomous system. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not anti any tool, right? Yeah. But I've never used a containment system like that. But why one and not the other? Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. Be- and because- there can be room for error in those kinds of things. There's much more room for error and there's room for mistakes. And well, what happens be- if the dog gets past it, like yeah. suffers the punishment, gets past it on the other side and then can't come back on the property? Exactly. Mm. Or what if there's a good reason that the dog might want to escape the property, mm. right? There's a snake in his yard and the snake's chasing him around, yep. right? So now he's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? So- there's no right answers. And the, my understanding, mm. I was told, is that the reason the containment systems are legal is because they couldn't find a way to ban the dogged one without also banning the horse ones. Right. That's what I was told. And I have no, I don't know that whether that's true or not. Mm-hmm. And the people who were writing 
these rules had horses. Yep. And needed their horses to have electric fences. Oh, funny about that. Yep. It comes back to bike. No, that could now. all be total bullshit. It, it I don't be. know. I was just yeah. told that. But mm. but that was very interesting to me when I was reading that legislation. When I first came into the industry, I was like, oh, this is the opposite of the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Like this is the opposite to what I've been trained in. I just don't understand the comprehension of some of these law writers and their biases. Sometimes I've, you know, I mean, we talk about things that keep us up at night. These are things that have kept me up at night. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are times where I've sat in bed. I mean, look, I remember in Victoria years ago, we protested so many things from working dog groups to use of tools and so forth. I mean, I've marched on Parliament House with, you know, groups of people. Unfortunately, it never really gathers the momentum it really should. And that's why they get away with being able to support these laws. Mm-hmm. Even though there are thousands more people online that are passionate about the protection of being able to use them, they still won't turn up to the rallies and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a bite in the ass yourself. However, getting back to why people do these in the first place, and as you've suggested, but we have no actual proof, is why are you allowed to use one tool and then in the same context, not, but allowed to use something very similar. It just is crazy. And there's so much variation between our own states on the East Coast. Yeah. Well, and that was what I've always found really confusing is it's been conclusively proven in court, in the High Court of Australia, that yep. you cannot physically injure a dog with an electronic training car. Armitage versus the RSPCA. Yeah. You can look that up. Yeah. Now, if we want to talk about psychologically damaged, that's mm. a whole nother thing. Of course it but is. But physically injure a dog yep. with electronic training collar, you cannot do that. Yeah. And so it makes no sense to me that let's pretend that we didn't know that and we say the reason that e-collars are illegal mm. is because it's it, it, it burns a dog mm. or it causes lasting neurological damage or, you know, whatever nonsense. You can't then have electric fences and – say the same delivery method, the same electric impulse doesn't cause those physical problems that you imagine it does when I'm in control of it versus Mm. when it's an electric fence. Like, so that's what that makes no sense to me. And we know that that's not the case. That is unequivocally been proven in court. Yep. You cannot, it it does not With scientific peers. Yeah. You know, there were studies conducted on it in universities and they, they conclusively came back and said all the claims that you're making, none of them are true. Yeah. So why, why the laws? Yeah. You know, this is the frustration. It's, you know, I know it's much more broad than just training tools in the industry, but the frustration is especially Victoria. Victoria seems to be somewhat of a nanny state of introducing like rapid fire laws without real cause or effect in going into detail about them. But why not consult with industry professionals and say, look, there's concern over them. How about instead of just a blanket ban that we introduce education, like the only way to access these tools is through education. I would really respect any group of politicians who actually came up with some sort of policy that protected the individual rights of everybody to say, you can't have them, but you've got to do courses to do them. That to me seems like an intelligent outcome. And often with politicians, it's more about popularity than it is about intelligent outcomes. Let me argue both sides of the coin on that. Of course. So first of all, let me agree with you and say we have a very similar system in here in Australia for getting a gun. 
Yep, right? We do. So there's a basic knowledge test you have to do. Yeah. Right. And it's fairly rudimental. You just have to prove not that you know how to use a specific gun, mm-hmm. but you're aware of gun safety and how yep. they work. And storage right? and everything. So both you and I are gun owners, and yep. it's not easy to own a gun in Australia. No. It's but a- we've been involved. Well, you've been in the army. I've been in private security. Um, you and, know. and something that's interesting people don't realize is having been in the army, I was in special force. I carried a gun for 12 years. Yep. Right. Every kind of gun you can think of. Yeah. That, you still have to do that the counts civilian. For nothing. Yeah. That counts for absolutely nothing as a civilian. Yep. You still have to do all the civilian requirements and still do the same test that I had to do. Yeah. Yep. So there is a precedent that would allow for that, right? Yeah. But that's what I respect. I respect that the fact that they make it difficult, but they don't ban it. While they have banned certain type of firearms, they make it extremely difficult for Australian citizens to own pistols, but you can still have them and own them and take them home if you're part of a gun club. Yeah. With all guns in Australia, it's that you have a legitimate need to have the gun. Yes. And self-defense is not considered a legitimate no. need. All right. So let me fight the other side of the coin. Right. If they were to bring in, if they were to say, okay, e-collars will only be allowed having been certified as capable to use one, mm-hmm. who would make that certification? And who would write that certification and what would that look like? Because this is the thing. There's a well, lot of variance in the way that people, use, even within the industry, would use the e-collar. There should be a board where everybody can keep each other honest. The overwhelming majority of people who would want to use an e-collar, mm-hmm. the average person, is not interested in learning the way that I would like to teach it, right? Because they're looking to use it as some sort of aversive stim, as mm-hmm. a quick fix to a problem, Right. And it can certainly work. It, it, that can be the case, but that's not a course that I would be interested in running. Yeah, but it doesn't mean there has to be one course. I mean, there could be several courses, okay, okay. but the ethical board who decide on how they're used and what they're used. And I mean, these can be people that agree to disagree on certain topics, but say, okay, rather than there just being one style of training, there are a few courses that can be done which are recognised under the Australian government. Yeah. Okay, to say, to recommend the ethical use and the safe use in certain situations. So they could have your philosophy and they could have other people's philosophy who do want to use them as aversive stim, but show people how to use that properly. Yeah. So what I would see, and what's interesting about this is, right, for us in this state, that Mm. would be a step forward. Absolutely. But for others, say, in the States, that would be a horrendous step back. That would be- In the United States? Yeah. Yeah. So for us here in Australia, in this particular state of Australia, that would be a step forward and I would welcome it because it's a step in the right direction from a banning to controlled use. Yes. But in America, that would be an invasion of their constitutional rights. Well, it would be a step backwards because you're going from like freedom use, free, free to use however you see fit- to controlled use, right? But and then I, but you're involving the governments in things that they needn't be involved in. That always is a concern for me, is too much intervention by governments yeah. in anything, really. In the case of a huge national chain in America choosing to no longer sell e-collars, I personally feel like, okay, whatever. Like, you do you. That's yeah. your deal. But don't shame them. That's right. Yeah. That's the thing. Don't shame people, you know, and make people out to be crazy ideologists. So to finish on, well, not to finish, but to explain on our circumstance here where I would welcome controlled use. Yeah. I don't think that that should be on the specifics of how to use an e-collar. That should be on behavioral science, Mm -hmm. right? So where we go, hey, you have to have an understanding of positive reinforcement. You have to have an understanding of punishment. You have to understand like what those things are and how they affect. Yeah. Rather than saying this is how you have to use an e-collar, we should say to people, 
Like you use e collar however you want, right? Yep. Because I think that cruelty to animals happens in the heart and mind of the cruel person, mm. not with the tool that they'll use. If yep. you're so inclined, you'll kill a dog by lack of feeding it. Yeah. Not you don't need any you don't need a single thing to be cruel to a dog. Or you'll you kill can, a dog by feeding it. Exactly. You mm. can so that is up to the choice of the person. Absolutely. The concern is someone who's well meaning misusing the tool. And so rather than teaching them how to use a tool specifically, I would rather the step forward be that in order to have access to that tool and others, mm. and look, frankly, I would support this in regards to like this should be taught in schools, yep. is this is how behavioral science works, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is how like the real fundamental shit, this is operant conditioning, this is classical conditioning. Yep. Right. And that should be something that everybody understands so that when you have a problem behavior in your dog, you can say, hey, can I get rid of this using positive reinforcement? Can I change this dog's behavior? Mm. No, I've tried. Okay, now I'm going to use an aversive. And we're talking the absolute fundamental average pet owner, right? Yep. yep. Okay, I don't see a way out of doing this using positive reinforcement, taking a positive first approach, TM, mm -hmm. but – I'd know effectively how positive punishment works or yep. negative reinforcement works. And I understand timing and its consequences and that sort of thing. Right. So effectively applying the Lima principle. Exactly. Yeah. But then that would leave open the uh, conversation about how specifically to use the e-collar, mm. right? Because you use it however you think fits within the framework mm. of operant conditioning, classical yeah. conditioning. Yeah. We can talk about that and you can, like I literally teach that for weeks on end to people, mm. but just having a basic understanding of it, I think, would be good. And, and timing so that you can explain to people, hey, like you punishing the dog after the event is not helpful, yep. right? Like that's, you know, that that's basics that a lot of people don't understand, mm. right? So if you can – and but the person who's likely to do that is going to do that with a rolled up newspaper if they don't have an e-collar. Absolutely. Like it's going to happen. Absolutely. That aversive, mm. as understood by the, the owner or the handler, is going to happen whether mm. an e-collar is available to him or not. This is a part of a, a system of intelligent arguments that have been put forward or debates or conversations that have been put forward where people have said, the more that you take this out of mainstream, the more you drive it underground. Yes, and that's, exactly. that is the problem. And that is the problem that I've seen as well, is that instead of layering in a control mechanism where people are making better choices through better forms of education, through educated people, okay, having good mentorship and people that are working safely in the industry – they're without a guide. So all the ropes have been cut and they're basically getting these tools because they're getting super frustrated by the dog's behavior. And then they're taking it underground and then they're doing these behaviors that all of us are shunning and saying, we don't want any of this. What we do want, again, is utilizing that phrase, is having an ethical control mechanism in place where education is set up to be inclusive with people, but make it difficult not impossible, just make it difficult. So if people then say, well, it's too difficult. I don't want to do this and I'm not going to get a collar. Good. Mm. Then you're not the person who should have one because you haven't gone through. Yeah, totally. You haven't gone through the struggle to earn it. And we're all about that. We're all about struggling through to the other side to get the cream. This is something we should, well, she listens to the show. So this is us talking to you about it, the press. This is something that ISCP could take under its wing and say, like, here is a four hour presentation yep. with a train the trainer package that could be delivered to high schools all around the world. Yep. Right. And we, because, you know, ISCP's real mandate is in education. Mm -hmm. That could be something that we could easily put together. Probably someone within the ISP has that already on YouTube and just someone's got to put their hand up and say, oh, I've got that content. Here it is. Yeah. And it's like in high schools or wherever, and it could even be something that, you know, breeders show prior to 
sending a puppy home or like here's an email link to it or something like that. Just yep. something very basic that says this is the basic fundamentals of animal behavior, mm-hmm. right? This is, you know, how to build behaviors. This is how to get rid of behaviors. Yep. And just something like that would go a long way in avoiding the misuse of tools because like I genuinely feel, and it's what we spoke about when Bart was here with all the like sort of knickknacks in his device, mm. is that very few people intentionally want to hurt their dog and the people who want to will no matter how hard you try to stop them same thing with children and women and everything else there's there's no stopping that person behind closed doors yeah and so like this is one of the things that you see there are laws yeah but it's still going to happen it's still going to happen this is the thing that when people you know like when people want to get into this argument and they immediately, as soon as you're labeled as a balanced trainer they call you cruel and it's like the conversation stops here yeah because you're incapable of seeing you brought emotion into it rather than logic. Yeah, mm. you don't understand. And like I say, we've been around the bend on this a million yeah. times. The people who like who actually are the plus R trainers that are effective at doing it, they don't say those kinds of things, right? Mm. So it's just it's so just it's knuckleheads. Say you do you and we'll do us. Yeah, it's yeah. just knucklehead zealots that say stupid things. And yeah. we have, as balanced trainers, absolutely, we have plenty of those that just yeah. say stupid shit and do yeah. stupid shit. Yeah. And so too does the other end of the spectrum. Like that, Forrest Gump says, stupid is as stupid does. Yeah, and in every Every case, I think just to qualify everything we're saying, like you got to be able to show some evidence of your successes, right? So yeah. they're the only people that are worth listening to. But I think that something that is like a balanced approach, but an honest scientific approach where we just say, this is how behaviors are built and this is how behaviors are diminished. Yeah. And there's an overlapping space in the middle of where they both work at the same time. Mm-hmm. That would go a long way to reducing accidental misuse of any training system. Yeah. Right. And I don't mean just in e-collars. I mean, rolling up the newspaper and giving the dog a smack because you came home, found his shit that's in the living room and has been there for six hours. You know what I mean? Like just the shit that is commonplace. That's what people do, right? That's what people do. We've all been into someone's home in a behavior modification case and they tell you that's what they did because that's what their dad did and blah, 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 blah. Right? That's exactly right. I mean, all that sort of advice has been around since I've been in training. You kind of think to yourself, well, that's so archaic, it won't be around anymore. But it is. Like you go and talk to people and you think, holy shit, just because I'm not suggesting it or working with it or haven't heard it for a long time, it doesn't mean it's not around anymore. Yeah. Because it certainly resurfaces again and again and again. Do you know, I think we talked about this in the Urban Myths episode, Mm. but my theory on why that as a technique used to work, because it has to have worked. So people are still doing it. It has to have at some point been effective. And why it worked in the past and doesn't, we know it not to work so well now. This is my theory, right? Yeah. When people lived on larger properties, when you come home and you find your dog has shit into the middle of the room yep. and you punish the dog in that moment, right? Rub his nose in it, for example, yep. right? That's aversive for sure. Yep. But the aversion is paired to you finding the shit, not doing the shit. And so what often would happen is that the dog would then go, I can't have you finding my shits because you'll rub my nose in them if you find them. So the dog would go to the back of the property as far away and as in an unlikely place in the garden bed or wherever it is that you're unlikely to find his turds so that you don't fucking rub his head. Yeah, finding a safe space. But now when you're in an apartment, the dog's like, fuck, I can't hide this shit effectively. Like Mm. when I've got to do it, you're going to find it somewhere, right? And- so then there's the behavioral stress that comes of that. But then you get these sneaky dogs, and certainly I've seen these, and I'll bet you have, that hide their turds under couches and under beds and yeah. stuff like that, right? And they're like, why would he do that? And you say, because you've made it dangerous to have you find his turds. So he has to hide them. <laughs> I remember a consult I went to. <laughs> 
years ago where a dog was shitting in the pot plants <laughs> and the lady was horrified. She lived on her own and she lived in a nice apartment in Melbourne and the dog would back up to a pot plant and shit in it. Mm-hmm. And she never catch the dog, but she'd find the shit in there. But yeah. and she bought one of those, you know, outdoor grass potties and she said, why is he doing this? And I said, well, we have to take a moment to actually applaud the dog on his effort to be able to back himself up and shit in the pot plant because he's the only little dog. Yep. After I finished being impressed with that, I'll come up with a conclusion. I said, you walk the dog, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, where does he usually go to the toilet outside? And she said, oh, he runs into the park and, you know, shits under a tree and stuff like that. And I said, well, I think he's trying to mimic his closest habitat. Yeah. This little bit of fake grass that you've got there is nothing that he's has an, an understanding or has success around going to the toilet on. Yet the pot plant is earth. And I think he's thinking, well, I'm not going to shit on the carpet. Yeah, because fake grass and carpet are essentially the same thing. To exactly. Yeah. It's synthetic. Yeah. Whereas, you know, there's soil there, there's plants there and stuff like that. So I said, I'm kind of impressed with the dog. I'm finding it difficult to be as angry as you are about it because I, I think it shows ingenuity. I'm a pretty strict pick up your dog shit kind of guy, right? Yeah. Because I use a lot of open spaces for my dog, public spaces. And yep. I think that it's one of those, yeah, you know, like all people, right? Yeah, Just pick a, up your dog shit. So yeah, it's a courtesy thing. But- one time, <laughs> I was walking this Malia I had my first one. Yep. Rider. Your rider, yep. Yep. And there was this really, it was a public hedge. It was on the corner of this like little planter box, right? And mm-hmm. it was a really perfectly trimmed hedge. Yep. And he used to do these, like he'd cock his leg to do a piss and then he must have realized halfway through like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, this is a follow through, right? So it wouldn't be uncommon for him to be cocked his leg and then swing it around and turn it into a turd, right? <laughs> it was just something that he would do yep. you know, intermittently. Yep. So one day we're walking down the street and he goes to cock his leg on this like perfectly trimmed bush. Yep. And mid piss realizes it's a crap and he swings around and he must have got it because it was freshly cut to be, have like a perfect edge on it. He must have got like a little scratch or some kind of a Oh, he snagged his coin. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was like front, he was doing one of those handstand turds on this hedge, but yep. it was perfectly cut with a straight top on it. Yep. And I stood there and watched this dog do a handstand while he backed out this Mr. Whippy style turd. Like it was like the poo emoji. He like <laughs> did that on the top of this hedge. And I stood there watching him do it and I thought, I'm leaving that. Yep. Like that is art. Yep. That is street art. And people are going to appreciate that as much as me. See, it- <laughs> if you had your Instagram profile like oh, you like mate. these days, that would have been all over Instagram. Mate, that would have been a hundred likes. And you could have put like a couple of eyes and yep. a little smiley oh, face mate. on it. Easily a hundred yep. likes on that bad boy. Yep. Yeah. So I left it there and yep. it, it stayed there for at least a week. There's this perfect turd dried out and stayed there. Imagine That's- the guy who went and precariously edged that hedge <laughs> up and he was, <laughs> he comes out one day and goes, what kind of fucking perverted person would do this? Like you back know, out of poo on my perfectly edged. You edge. know, we've got someone listening to the show just a minute ago when we we're talking seriously about, you know, reform in the industry and that mm. and they're like, I'm going to send this episode to my local legislature and I'm going to tell them about like how things should be. And yeah. then they're like, fucking hell. You just ruined it. You two dickheads. You two idiots. If you yeah. could just not talk about dogs doing Mr. Whippy shits and how many Instagram likes you could get for that, <laughs> that would have been Yeah, good. You've, you've ruined the credibility. You fucking idiots. Mm. Anyway, that's who we are. It's our show. Um, we didn't so, even know we were going to talk about this until we sat down in the chairs. Well, it does fit because what we discussed outside was talking about, and I had an idea of how I was going to frame this, but this mm. actually fits better, is the idea that just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Oh, right? perfectly segued, sir. Yes. And so well played. I had this idea of explaining something that took a long time for me to understand. And now it's something I teach. It was yep. something I was just having a conversation with someone on the way out here about like really going into detail about something. Mm. And- 
it was something I fought in the past, yep. right? It was like, no, I'd, it was about targeting, like on in bite dogs, right? And yep. I was, it took me a long time to get it and it was because I didn't understand it. And so yep. I thought it was wrong, right? I was like, no, that's incorrect. That's a sport dog thing and work dogs shouldn't do that. That's wrong, right? And then when it was actually explained to me, and it wasn't even the person I learned it from explaining it, but it was another thing altogether. It was learning about Hicks law, right? Yep. And Hicks law and your decision-making processes and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's why. Now I understand it and I realize it's correct. Can you elaborate a bit further on Hicks Law? Yeah, Hicks Law is that to very quickly summarize is yep. that imagine if there's a light mm-hmm. and a button. And yep. I say, Glenn, when that light turns on, push that button, mm-hmm. right? And you will have I'll establish a baseline response. So I can mm-hmm. gauge your reflexes, right? Yep. And I know how you can respond to it in a certain time. Mm-hmm. Now if I say there's when this light goes on, push either one of these two buttons. Yep. I don't care which one, just push either one. You cannot have the same response time. You will be slower right. because there's a decision that has to be made. Okay. Right. Yep. And so the more decisions, the slower your response. And mm-hmm. it, it speaks to teaching a dog to target correctly mm-hmm. and have a preferred target yep. so that he's not making decisions on his entry. Yep. Right. And then if that target is blocked, now there's a decision about which is my alternate target. Yeah. But what you don't want on the entry is the dog deciding where am I going to go? If I can go anywhere, where am I going to go? We yep. take that decision away from the dog and we say like, you go here. Yeah. And I used to think that dogs that like a long time ago, I used to think that dogs that targeted the the pocket, like the left bicep, that's a sport dog thing. And mm-hmm. and a, a real dog should bite whatever it can get. And that's true. But if you're just standing there doing nothing, I think a dog should have in its mind, I intend to bite you in your left bicep or wherever you've mm. chosen. It doesn't matter where it, you choose. It, you know, it kind of makes sense. And if I correlate this back to human behavior, it kind of makes sense because then you'd be much happier with your overall decision. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't have the Well, you decision. don't have a decision. Right. So you'd be happy with the outcome yeah. rather than making a decision and think, oh, I should have chose the other one. Yeah. So you know? as Hicks Law replies, the mm. dog only has to bite, right? Mm. In the same way you only have to push a button. Yeah. But if you've taught the dog on a frontal presentation to bite the left arm or the right arm, the left leg or the right leg, Yep. As he's going in, there's now four buttons to push and he has to decide which one of those four buttons he's going to push in the yep. same way you had to. Whereas if you say to the dog, there's just only bite. one button, yep. bite the left arm, yep. then he just comes in, no decision-making bites it, mm. and he'll be more effective. Yeah, it's, and, it's clean. But then, of course, you have to show that for people who are getting upset, and this is what I used to not understand, and I was wrong, is that you then show the dog, if the left arm is covered, yep. now you've got a decision. You've mm. got an alternate target, right? And, of course, you accept that, that he's going to be slower and less effective if his primary targeting area is covered. But he's going to be no slower and no less effective than if he was able to, if you had to make all those decisions from the start, mm-hmm. right? So that was what I intended to talk about and we've, we've explained it. But I think it relates a lot to the use of these sorts of tools yeah. is that just because you don't know how to use them doesn't mean that they're incorrectly, they're incorrect to use. Absolutely. Right. And that's the argument that we're putting forward earlier is that there is a lot of bias and a lot of pseudoscience and a lot of opinions that are focusing around, you know, these tools are cruel, these tools do this, they cause burns and so forth. And that was a popular consensus back in that court case, Armitage versus the RSPCA, you know, like that was the establishment that they were trying to create is that the collar caused burn marks. And I think it was the University of New Zealand who put forward, they said, this is physically impossible to, you know, scientifically and physically impossible to do. However, you know, don't take our word for it. You can research this yeah, in the law it. archives. People have put it online. That they published the entire file for people to be able to read and the outcome based around it. And if rightfully so, if there was any genuine concern about that, they were causing burn marks and so forth, then 
I agree. There should have been. But totally. We shouldn't use them. That's right. We shouldn't use them. If they're doing the type of things that the claims were made against, there should be a removal from those tools. But if we're speaking about any of these devices, there should be a high level of accuracy about them. And this is why it, it pays for us to be able to have a conversation around these or discuss them or debate them or whatever we need to do. So accuracy and the genuine scientific outcome is revealed. Mm. Yeah. So in the past, when I've, you know, we talk about, I like to have conversations slash debates with yep. people. And in the past, when people have told me that those tools will burn the dog, mm. I say to them, hey, that's incorrect. Yep. That I'm not going to argue with you on that. That's been done, mm. right? Here's the literature. Educate yourself. Come back to me with a new argument and we'll go down. We'll, we'll continue. Yep. Because if you've read that, if, you're, if the cornerstone of your argument is that the e-collar can burn a dog- that's not true, mm. right? So we have to remove that and you have to accept that because that's a fact. It's, it's been scientifically fact. proven, right? Fact. Yep. You're going to have to show me some better evidence if you want to change my mind. You won't find it, yep. right? But I'm open to it if you do. Mm. But you're going to have to come at me with a new argument because you can't say they burn dogs. Then when I prove to you that they can't, come back and sending me a photo of a dog with a burn on its neck is not evidence that he collars burned dogs, yeah. right? Even skin necrosis from pressure of the collar being yeah. inadequately applied. Yeah. So you're going to have to come back to me and seldom do I get that because that's the rhetoric. And then so mm. you say, but it's it's not what you think. So if you still think that I shouldn't use this tool, what's your reason? Yep. And then it's the like, well, you don't need one if you've got the right timing and blah, blah, blah. And you go, okay, but now you're in the model of I'm only using it as an aversive or that you should teach alternate behaviors. And you yep. go, okay, no worries. I'm with you on that. In fact, I will regularly do that. I very seldom would use those sorts of tools as aversives. I'm not, and it's it's not because I don't think they're effective. I just don't think that it's the the best use of of training. I'd rather have a dog decide it's what to do. It's not the model direction that you want to yeah want to pursue. And and so now you're going to have to. Now we're stuck in this sort of, and this is the problem of you don't understand it, yep. is now we're not arguing about the same thing. We're mm. not even talking about the same thing. You're talking about how you shouldn't be just stopping dogs doing stuff. You should take the time to train and educate the dogs. And yep. you go, I say to people, I fucking dare you to find someone that spends more time <laughs> educating themselves on their dogs on training, mm. right? This is not a tool of laziness, right? This is not This is not why I will use a prong collar on a dog. This is not because I can't be effective in another way. It's because this is the effective way, mm. right? But it takes proper education and a willingness to be open to learn that. Because I remember, mate, I remember standing there in the kennel the first time Sam showed me a prong collar. I'd never seen one and I hadn't used one. I'd never seen it. Right. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not using that. Yeah. That's I a, had the same. That's a fucking medieval torture device, yeah. mate. There's no way I'm putting that on my yeah. dog. And he had the wherewithal and um, capacity to explain to me, no, no, no. I know it looks like that, mm. but this is how it works. And this is the function and this is how we'll use it and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I'm fortunate that I had that because I might've been an anti prong collar guy. Absolutely. Right? Because if I had just gone like, Hey, no, that looks like a medieval torture device. And he goes, yeah, look how hard I can hurt this dog with it. Then I'm like, yeah, that is doing exactly what I thought it was going to do. But that's not what happened. He goes, hey, I can gently guide a dog into doing the right thing with this, right? And this is how it works. And it pinches, it doesn't stab. Prong collar is a, a shitty name and it shouldn't – like it looks like this because it's a closing action, not a stabbing action. And mm. all those things that I've since explained to hundreds or thousands of people, right, thousands of people right now, if I had just – close myself off to not understanding it, then I would be an anti-prong collar person. Yep. Right. And it would be 
it would be reasonable in my mind to be anti-prong collar because I don't understand it. Mm. Right? So I think that's important is if you really understand something and allow someone to speak about it and you're still anti that tool and you truly do understand it, that's cool. Yeah. No worries. And they're the people I respect and I'm happy to have conversations with about yeah, Absolutely. Stuff. If a person rejects the concept of using a tool and they've got their own personal reason why, however, they don't use that bias against other people to say, well, I don't like it and nor should the masses as well. You know, like I respect a person says, look, I understand it. Thanks for taking the time to explain it to me. I'm still not going to use one. Yeah. You know, I respect cool. that person. That's not a problem. I don't respect them when they start making up pseudoscience claims and then they start hitting the internet and starting to get on forums and starting to drive fear into people who have no idea. What they should say to them is, look, personally, ethically, it doesn't sit well with me and my training model. I don't want to use one. But if you do, please go and learn from someone who actually understands how the mechanics and the proper use of it. Please go and spend time and do an education seminar with them so they can show you how to set it up right for your dog. Yeah. And then take time to utilize it and use it properly and ask as many questions as you need to. I respect people like that and I know people like that. Yeah. I've met people like that who've said, I don't want to do it. It's, you know, I mean, I'm not going to switch tracks entirely, but I mean, I know people who are strict vegan. They absolutely abhor the thought of eating meat, yet they'll still sit down with people who eat meat and say, it's your choice. Yeah. You know, I like those type of people. I like mingling with those type of people because they've made a life choice and yet aren't forcing it on other people. But, you know, that's how mostly humans live. Like, this is the funny thing. And when you have a conversation with someone up close, so you remember when I did the carnival thing? Yeah. So- I was during that, so I'm eating nothing but meat. Yep. I'm during that. I'm at a friend's barbecue, right? Mm -hmm. Maddie's house, and I was talking about it, and his sister was coming later, and I'm talking about, oh, I'm on this carnival thing, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he had these sausages, and I was like, oh, I probably won't eat the sausages. I'll probably just eat the steak because I don't know what else is in the sausages, yep. and blah, blah. And he kind of just smiled at me with this wry sort of smile, and I knew a stitch up was coming. Yeah. Right? His sister was a strict vegan. Yeah. yeah. So his sister <laughs> arrives and I've known her since like, I went to school with this guy. His sister's younger than him. I've known her since like we're 12 years old, right? Yep. So you're kind of family. Yeah. Yeah. But we've never got a lot. We, we've kind of butted heads on a lot of things over the years, right? Me yep. and his sister. She sits down next to me and he says immediately, hey, Sophie, Pat's, uh, Pat's carnival. Like he only eats meat. <laughs> <laughs> and we spent the next hour back and forth. Yeah. But then we hang out. We had a lovely time. I hugged her and as I left and was like, really good to see you. Thank she you for a fun She didn't say you stink of meat. That's it. Like you're not, a, like she didn't make me the devil. Mm. She couldn't, she didn't then say to me like, I cannot converse with you. Yeah. Right. Like we couldn't have been further away from each other on the topic. Right. So I only eat meat. She won't eat meat. Yep. Right. Like normal people, we were able just to discuss our personal choices. Isn't that beautiful? And not try and – and I had a lot of questions about why are you that, which I always am. Even to vegetarians, I'm always curious about why people are vegetarians, right? Yep. And it's never to find an, a hole in their logic. I'm genuinely curious. Hey, mm. why is that? And, you know, I've, I've spoken to people – like even vegans, I find that interesting sometimes. Like why are you a vegan? And some people it's not even a morality thing. Some people it's fucking environmental. And I'm like, yep. cool, got it. Or a health choice. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like sweet, whatever. Yeah, I respect their choice to, to switch. Absolutely. It's, but that's your the, body is your temple. You can do what you want. And they're the conversations that you can have face to face. But what you problem you see is these training tools. Yeah. Is then people go, no, you use that tool. Fuck you. Absolutely not. No way. You're the devil. I can't converse with you any further. And you go, hang on, hang on. If you have written me off because I use those tools, now I don't have the capacity to have a conversation with you and explain to you how and why I use those tools mm. and maybe come to understand why. 
right? And and maybe we can agree to disagree at the best, right? Yep. If you won't even engage with me on it, if you're saying that I'm wrong without hearing my point of view, that's where the conversation ends. And we have no choice but to be enemies on that now. Mm. Like imagine she said to me at that barbecue, fuck you, you're the devil. I can't believe you're eat, you only eat meat. And I said, well- fuck you, I can't believe you don't. And there the conversation ends. That's the end of the friendship. It's yep. over, right? Yep. Because we can't converse any further. But then it was like, why are you doing this? And I was like, because Joe Rogan is. And so I do whatever Joe Rogan tells me. <laughs> <laughs> and hers was on heart disease. Hers was health. Yeah. Right? And I was like, well, fine, whatever. Right? Yeah. My sister has switched to a strict vegan diet, but hers is health related. Yeah. Yeah, strictly health related. She was a meat eater and she switched to vegan and she just says that Based on her health issue, it has transformed her life. But so we can have, it's important we have that conversation and we say, well, this is how, right? Mm. We're not getting much of that from when you just go, I want that tool gone. And anyone who uses an asshole will go like, hey man, there's shades of asshole, right? Like, and there are people who, it's interesting you talk about it going underground and then the corporate knowledge being lost, right? Mm. And the same happens when it isn't underground. Like, you know, Police forces and militaries around the world that li- that are in places where e collars are illegal usually have some sort of exemption to do it. Yes. And the big problem they then face is the lack of corporate knowledge in how to use it. Absolutely. And so then they're in a really rudimental use. And, and the worst, like the most obvious aversive of those tools, and then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Mm. So- like with certain police forces I know of and have worked with, they have to get special permission to use an e-collar mm-hmm. and it's to fix a particular problem. They have to show that they've tried all these other techniques to do it, right? So that makes me so sad. Yeah. Well, then the problem is that it, that becomes self-fulfilling prophecy now that e-collar is an aversive tool, yep. right? And it's it relates to what we are talking about last week. Like you have to have tried all these other things. So now we're at the pointy end mm. trying to fix a problem where at the blunt end, we could have fixed it a lot easier, right? And it becomes fulfilling prophecy that now because I can only use the e-collar when I get specific permission to off my boss who doesn't know shit about dogs, right? But he's willing to accept the public liability of me being seen with it, right? Now I can only use an aversive because all my training hasn't been allowed to include the e-collar up to that point, right? So that's an issue Mm. of when there isn't regular available use by experts. And I can tell you, man, I was in the army for 12 years. The army is not the holders of the knowledge of the skills that they have. We require other people to be hold that and we bring them in because we know we need to know too many things, especially in a special forces unit, the amount of shit we need to know. And there's really, there's one thing that we really need to know and that's how to Mm. gunfight, right? So that is our absolute fucking skill that we must have. And it's very hard to find civilian gunfighters that can come in and teach us gunfighting, but everything else we rely on civilians to hold the corporate knowledge and come in and reteach this to us. So that's how any successful business works well is by the addition of bolt-ons. That's right. And people who are outside the organization look outward and upward to see what's new. How can we, and we're not bound by your, yeah, we're not bound by your restrictions and Mm -hmm. your, like we have freedom of action. See, I'm a, like as a civilian where say you're in America, right? Yep. And you're a police and you're, you ha- says you have case law that says you have to use your equipment in this particular way. Right. Yep. And you have like rules of engagement that say you do this and that, right? Like there's rules by how you operate within the confines of your equipment. The idea is that you have people outside the organization who are not restricted by your you know, your doctrines, doctrines, the word doctrines, I'm trying to think okay, of, right? Yep, okay. So people who are not restricted by your yep. doctrine and, mm. and are told this is how you have to use it, their job is to look outwards and upwards mm. and see like how else can this be used, figure it out, come back and say, hey, 
this is what I'm doing, yep. right? And this is the successes that we've had. And I've been working with X unit in wherever, and they're doing this, and I've noticed that, and I'm bringing that back to you, right? Mm. When you restrict civilians being able to travel around and do that sort of thing and teach that, then you're bound by your doctrine and your doctrine will stay the same because the doctrine will never change, mm. right? It just is what it is because there's no one looking outwards and upwards in order to change it, right? And so that's a big concern. And as much as people might like it, you're never going to have these tools that we use in dog training completely banned all over the world for everybody. That's yep. not going to happen. Mm. What is possible to happen is that, that it goes into only the service, exactly like we have here, yep. automatic weapons are only allowed to be owned by the army. Mm. Okay. Well, if it goes to, okay, prong collars are only allowed to be used by the army, they're going to be using them in the exact same way forever. Yep. And they're not going to be There's no evolution of in their there. doctrine. Yeah. Right. Mm. It's a really, it's a, it's an ecosystem that has to work all together. Yeah. The other thing, <laughs> now that I'm ranting. Mm is I think that the big pet chain that has banned uh, the sale of their e-collars, like for me that feels more like a marketing and sales maneuver than it does that they give a fuck about animal welfare. And what I would say of them is that now they have paid the ante in the game of telling people what to do. Yeah, they've stepped into a political arena. And Well, but it will come back and get them. Mm. Like, that's how these things work. The moment you start telling people how what they should do and how they should do it instead of giving people the freedom of action to do what they think is ethically correct is within the confines of the law. Yep. The moment you start telling people you are wrong to do this legal action, mm-hmm. right? You have paid the ante into the game of catching people out and you will get fucking caught out. Now people are going to be looking and trying to find the cruelty that exists within your organization. Absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that because you know, that's when people start cleaning house and want to look under the rug. Yes. What I really would have respected of them, because I, I think we talked about this in the ethos of the conversation as well, is if they said to people, we're still going to sell them, but we're only going to sell them with education packages. So what we're going to do is we've got a couple of organizations out here who have got people within their groups who understand the ethical use of these tools and devices. We're going to work with them to develop an education portal. And if you do that portal and you pass it and you've got a certificate, we'll sell it to you on the basis of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that would be wonderful. And what a game changer that would be in the industry for people to start working within models like that. Well, And that's what the average small business owner is already doing. Yeah. Like I don't know a single person around the world that's an actual dog trainer Mm. that sells e-collars and that sort of thing to people they don't know. Like you can't just buy one online and and they ship it off. I don't know a single person that hasn't had training in it or, you know, along those lines to ensure that it's going to be used correctly. Or they belong to a club or something like that. That isn't – like I don't know a single small business that isn't already in that position. Yeah. And to then – it could have been an awesome opportunity for a huge multinational organization to then say, we're coming on board with that. You've got to learn how to use it properly before we're willing to sell it. Wouldn't that be an act of outright intelligence? Well, and respect. But as I say, my take on the whole situation is that when you polarize your customers, mm. so if you were drawing from the whole market and you've yep. got like everybody comes in here and everybody buys a little bit of stuff, right? That's a known business model. But what seems to be becoming more popular is that if we fucking make half the people on the planet hate us, the other half will love us mm. and they will support us. And so their business will increase. 
Right? And I, I think that's more their reason for doing it rather than actually giving a fuck about the welfare of animals. I'm not going to say this of the actual organisation because I don't know their MO of why they decided to do it. But I do know that money drives some crazy decisions. They say that money is the root of all evil. And in some cases, it absolutely is. Yeah, I've seen people throughout my lifetime, and I mean, I've heard other people explain it as well, that they just find that people... Their driver in in making large amounts of money is they will do the most despicable acts. I don't know. It's enraging to me to actually think about this. We've talked about what was the subject topic we we came up with just because you don't think it works. Just because you don't understand it. Yeah, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it won't work. I mean, I remember mocking the clicker when it first came out. You know, I'm very embarrassed about that now, but I'll still openly talk to people about it as an educational topic. I didn't understand it, so I mocked it. You know, I made fun of people. I literally called them out. I called them sissies and, you know, imbeciles and so forth. And I'm, I look back on that and I'm publicly shaming myself now because I thought to myself, what a stupid thing to do. But I didn't think it was cool to use a clicker at the time mm. until I realized how surgical a clicker or a market can actually be in training. Mm. You know, and it's through those portals of education discussion that I found out that I was fundamentally wrong. Even though I'm sad that it took me as long as it did you know, and I could have been well-versed and more practical back then, I'm still happy that I got to access information and people spent the time sitting down with me to educate me properly on it. And I wish for you people out there, if you're listening to this, it resonates a little bit with you, with your own biases. I somehow wish you would be able to have the time to sit with somebody who could properly educate you on it. Because we have had people in our forums before. There was a lady that sent me a message quite some time ago, and I forgive me because I don't know her name, and i I shouldn't probably publicly bring her up as well. But she messaged me and she said, Glenn, I don't actually like using remote trainers or anything like that. I'm joining the group not to be trouble, but to educate myself and to yeah, listen and perfect. see. And I, that's what I said to her. I said, stay as long as you like. Yeah. If you've got any questions, and I said, I can point you in the right direction of some people who can, you know, who are probably better versed to answer that than I am. And I said, but by all means, I'll, I'll help with whatever I know. As far as I'm aware, she's probably still in the group checking things out. She said to me, look, I'm not here as a spy or I'm not here to cause trouble or anything. I said, stay as long as you like. Yeah. And we need more people like you. That's perfect attitude. Perfect attitude. And, and as I say, like, I, th- I feel like one of the main things, that the, the underlying core of everything that we've been talking about mm. is like, you do you, man. You, like Exactly. You, you right? use whatever tools you want. I'm not going to try and talk you into yep. using any tools, but just please afford me that same luxury. Yeah. If you want to be a vegan and do CrossFit and, you know. <laughs> I can't help respecting people who want to follow a strong discipline, but don't force it on other people. Same thing goes for religion. If you want to practice the terms of religion and yet don't want to bash it down someone's throat, I respect you. Mm. I have a lot of respect for you. Whatever discipline you want to do, whatever stringent activity you want to follow, as long as it's ethical and you're not trying to beat it down someone's throat, you do you. You are doing you. Yeah. And keep working on yourself. Keep improving. Yeah. I think that's a moral obligation of being a better human being is developing a better ethos about how you function in in the world. Again, let me flip the coin and Mm. argue the other side. Funny you say vegans and CrossFitters. The reason that people, usually when someone goes vegan, usually, not always, but it's usually like a radical change from their shitty diet that they had already. Yep. And they feel great, right? And it's just that they stopped eating Macca's five meals a day, right? 
And so they feel really good. And it's the same with CrossFit. The CrossFit draws a lot of people who are not typical working out. Mm. And rather than going to a gym that is very, like you're in there by yourself and getting judged by the meatheads, like you go to CrossFit and they're very like, hey, come in, we'll teach you the movements. And there's a real community about it. And they immediately start to improve their health. They develop a culture, yeah. But they immediately start to improve their health. And that is why, I mean, I love to tease vegan CrossFitters, but that's the real reason why they're constantly talking about it is because they genuinely feel better and, and they, they want you want to as well of their friends yeah that's right? right i agree which is why i'm constantly telling people about saunas i'm like you gotta go to sauna <laughs> it's fucking amazing right <laughs> how's it going by the way it's great i mean it every day i love it yeah. right and and i feel great having having used it and mm. so it's one of those things where you're like hey i feel so much better i want this for other people mm. and so to play devil's advocate for people who are anti-aversives in training when they might have used aversives in the past and got really bad results, now they come around to the idea of like, oh, I'm now using positive reinforcement and I'm getting these great results with my dog. And my dog, the, usually for them, the key criteria is the attitude of the dog. Yeah, right? now you're on something. I agree right? with this. Yeah. So then they, mm. they get on this way, like mm. I feel terrible about all the things I did to dogs in the past because yep. I was uh, old school yank and crank style or I saw that whether they were it or they saw it or their parents were, whatever. Yep. And now they look at their dog and they go, I have this amazing relationship with my dog. My dog genuinely loves me and enjoys my company. And I want that for others. But your dog ain't everybody else's dog. Well, not everybody started it where you did. This is Mm. the issue, right? So when CrossFitters will then say to people like, oh, it's amazing. You got to come to CrossFit. And do you know who puts up the biggest fight against that? powerlifters mm-hmm. because they're like, fuck you. I'm in the gym every day. I'm living my best life, yep. right? I'm fit. I am healthy. I'm not coming from the couch to CrossFit. Yep. You're trying to recruit me from very technical, incredibly strong, actual Olympic lifters <laughs> or say like, you know, the, the brand of fitness that I'm into is strong first, right? Like kettlebell stuff. And it's all about form. Yep. They, it's nothing done for time. It's fucking form, right? Above anything else. Yep. And so then when the CrossFit community are like, you guys, you got to come on board. They're like, we're already on board, yep. right? We're doing what you're enjoying better, yep. right? And it's the same when the vegan argument and people say, oh, you got to go vegan. You feel amazing. And you go, I eat very clean and healthy as it is. I'm unlikely to feel any different than I do now. Yep. That's the argument we're having Mm. where we as centrist, moderate, balanced trainers that really understand the full spectrum of motivation and use exactly what's appropriate there. Mm. We're the ones that are having an argument with the newly force-free, ban everything, only hugs and puppies for your dogs because they don't have access to the extreme – yank and crank because they're not in the same forums. Yeah. We get along with them. We're in the forums. We see them. Mm. We're we're happy to engage with them because we're like, hey, you might have something I can learn from. And they're heavily trying to recruit us and put restrictions on us. We're like, hey, we're actually on the same journey as you already. We're not starting at the start point you started at to feel that way. Mm. We're already there with you. And that's how I equate it in that that's how, like, you don't see people talking to CrossFitters. You don't see them going up to powerlifters and saying, guys, you got to get into CrossFit. It's amazing. Powerlifters say, fuck off. We already know about all that sort of stuff. And that's the same. Crazy new force-free, ban everybody. You're only allowed to do it this way. Yeah. 
they're talking to us and we're like, hey, we know about the use of positive reinforcement. We mm. know how to do this stuff. We're not just cranking on dogs, right? Go talk to those guys and maybe you can convince them to come to us, yeah. right? You're not going to convince them to go to you, but maybe you can knock them off the far extreme of yank and crank and make them more like us. Yep. Refine your skills. Mate, I totally agree with you. You know, I mean, I know we're almost at the wind up, but 30 years in, if I really heart and soul believe that what I was doing was wrong, I would abandon what I'm doing. And totally. I'd, and I'd go and join that process of thinking of just using only positive reinforcement. I just personally haven't seen enough evidence in myself for the type of dogs that I enjoy working with that it's going to work. I mean, there are dogs that I train and have been involved in their training where people said to me, you wouldn't need to use force with that dog, would you? And I said, totally agree. Yeah. Don't need to. The dog has never put a roadblock before me where I've thought to myself, I need to reach for a tool now. You know, the dog is working within the system. And until that changes, I'm happy to go down that road. Once the dog changes its behavioral attitude and then I realize this is not going to work for me anymore, why would I resist? Why would I resist? And that's why I've maintained this for 30 years. It's not just a stubbornness that I've just decided, no, fuck you. I'm, I'm going to do this because I want to do it. I like to listen to everybody. I like to sit down and, and be at the table with intelligent, science-backed people who can put forward a good argument. And I love to hear them. You know, effectively, it's that change my mind. If somebody can come to me one day and said, Glenn, it's completely changed. The whole paradigm has shifted to the right now. Hear us out. And here is a list of creditable, non-biased science people who can give you the relatable evidence. And there it is. And then I can actually go out in the field and watch dogs, not just a type of dog, but all types of dogs ranging from pet dogs all the way through to the extreme sport and military style of dogs. If I can see a, a shift in that direction, you've got me. I'm on board. Yeah, totally. And, Absolutely. And, and I think our job as people who do disseminate inf information and mm. knowledge in the industry is exactly what I've been talking about is to be the people who are looking outwards and upwards. Yeah. Right? Like I'm constantly, that's why we have so many people on the show. We're looking, I'm constantly looking out and saying like, who's doing anything that's interesting, right? What, what more can you teach us? What can yeah. we add to our portfolio? Yeah. Cause mm. I don't like, I know that I'm effective in what I do, but I'm constantly looking to add what can I do and what don't I know? Right. Yeah. Like where can I get new information? And that's what like, if there's the, the most effective way, I want to know it. Yeah. Right? I'm not wed to any tools. I could give two shits. And it's funny, it makes me laugh as you're talking about like that particular dog, whether they need tools or not. I don't even own a fucking collar for Valerie. Mm. I literally do not own a collar that fits her. Same with if not of training collar, I'm talking flat collar. Yeah. She just kicks around and does her own thing. And she's the dog that like, and I'm not training her to do anything specific. She knows how to live as yep. a dog that I lives in my house and yep. lives my life. She knows how to do that. I don't need any tools for her. Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely don't. Uh, when I did the SR test uh, for uh, the GRC thing, I had to borrow a flat collar off someone because yep. I didn't have one for her, right? So, like, it's not like, oh, you guys are the tool guys. It's not at all. It's like we use the right tool at the right time. Yep, and only applicable for the time it needs to be on. Yeah. I know it could probably bleed into a whole different subject, but, and again, it's a topic that we've discussed till the cows come home, but the migration of tools is that it's only there until it's needed, and then when it's not needed, it's no longer, it's drawed. You know, I've got tools that have been in drawers for years that I've never had to touch with certain type of dogs mm. because it was applicable to a time frame, you know, like a, a snapshot in time when that dog needed it. But when the dog migrated away from it, I said, the tool goes in the drawer. And, you know, it's a slippery slope because we talk about 
the extreme end, let's say, is e-collar. Yep. All right? Okay. Can't use e-collar. All right. Why? Because of the pain it causes on the dog. Okay. Let's say that. No yep. worries. Can't use a prong collar. Causes pain. Okay. Can I use a slip lead? No. That constricts. That causes the same thing. Can I use a harness? No. That's going to, that touches the dog. Well, my marker boards, part of the reason they're effective is because it frames the dog. Mm. And if he leans on the side, he gets feedback via being in the wrong position. Because I know, the, the argument side gets ridiculous, board, doesn't it? It does. Mm. And it can be ridiculous to the what point- What about food deprivation? We've talked right. about that before. Right. You know, like feeling hunger pains and the psychological effect of wanting food, but not allowed to have it. Yeah. And this is the issue is that I think that most people listening could say, well, the idea that anyone would ban you using your marker boards, Pat, because they have sides on them is outrageous. And I go, is it though? Because once you've taken everything else from me, and you get on a roll, are you sure you're not going to try and take that from me? Because that's how it fucking feels to me. But that's how it works. Exactly. That's where it goes is once there is peace in the world, then people go looking for something else. Like they're always hunting for the devil to try and find the devil and everything else. Yeah. And part of it is, you know, one of the arguments that often get put forward is, you know, those extreme biting dogs, a dog that genuinely looks at a person as prey and good luck trying to train those dogs without any tools, right? And I'm not talking like fix them. I mean, keep that in there and learn to control them for the work, right? Drug them or kill them. That's it. Well, they don't want them doing the work. Yep. That's servitude. The dog shouldn't be even doing the work. So our arguments are like it it just gets more and more outrageous and more and more ridiculous. And Mm. the ultimate goal, you know, now I'm into the conspiracy theorist range, is they don't want you owning pets. Mm. They want to make it impossible because that's servitude. How dare you keep that in your home? We've he discussed be this before, and leave. that is a true mandate. That is. Yeah, that is the mandate of the uh, the group Peter. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of people that would support them in their actions because they go like, oh, that's good because that's a step in the direction I want. Yeah. And then once that snowball starts rolling, you're going to be like, holy fuck. And we're not going to be – I truly believe before too long, probably in our lifetime, all the trainers are going to be coming together for the right to train dogs in any fucking way. Mm-hmm to own dogs in any way, let alone the tools and the the way that we would do it, we're going to be banding together just for the right to do that. And it's been because of the snowballing effect of this kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's hard, man. I don't know what the right answers are. The I right answer that I can in my, for now. Yeah. The, the right answer in my mind is education. In my mandate, my MO, it always comes back to don't ban, don't get involved in crazy conversations, just get involved in a collective educational portal that is accessible to everybody and the rules of the firm and strict. There is a, a pass criteria that's involved, whatever that may be, but speak to relevant industry people about whatever industry it's involved in. And this is a concern when we do talk about education. I know we're getting into a wind up and I don't want to bleed this on further. However, people come back and say, yeah, but who? Like if the government gets involved, that means there's already some political bias there from yeah. some jackass that wants to, further their political career and be popular and get into some sort of marketing spin on how that happens. I agree with that. I think that 90% of politicians are useless bastards anyway. There are good people out there. I know that's a bias and you might not agree with me. No, I'm with you, mate. (laughs) But the problem I see is that not enough of the right people are consulted. When I see people who are being brought on to fact-finding 
chairs and governance groups and stuff like that. I'm thinking the fucking dice is loaded, man. Yeah. Like you've got such a right invest or a left investment in this group. Like where's the diversity, the true diversity? Where are the really educated people? They don't want anyone saying, hang on a second, hang on, hang on. We've excluded all the science and now we've just got a bunch of agreeable yes people on this chair to say whatever you wanted to hear them say. I don't like that. You know, I say that to my employer who owns this whole company that I work for. I say, you didn't employ me to be a yes person. You employed me to save you when you need saving, to do the best by the organization, to make some unpopular decisions. And that's what I do. Even though the people who own this company are are family to me, okay, we still agree to disagree on topics and, and I do it for them and for the survivability of this organization. And that's what other groups need as well. You know, I appreciate you so much as a friend, a very Thanks, close. No, no, no. Let me, let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. You know, you are like family to me in so many ways. And one of the things that I really like about you is that you have never, ever been afraid to pull me up when you need to pull me up, to save me from myself. And I know that comes from a really good place. That comes from a place of, of respect and care because not many people will do that. Some people just say, oh, yeah, I don't want to get involved in a an argument. Whereas you'll say to me, hey man, that's not right. You're making claims that are infactual and I can present you with fact. I enjoy that because it does save me from myself. It saves me from embarrassment and it also educates me. And I like having people like you and other people like you in my life that will do that. And I just wish that the industry would embrace that as well. And it does to a degree, you know, and that's why we belong with organizations like the ICP and other organizations. I mean, they're not without fault. Nobody is, but what I appreciate is when they can see that they they could do better and they're trying to do better. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite a rant. It's a good one. Yeah. Appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Before I do, do the wrap up, mm-hmm. been threatening it for 20 minutes now. Yeah. I've had someone come up to me at a seminar I was doing in the US. Yep. And I think Larry Cohen, I remember him telling a story of a, a similar story. Mm-hmm. Had someone come up to me and say at the break, just so you know, I was here to gather information about you and the banning of e-collars, right? Like that's what I was here to gather evidence and I've changed my mind. And, awesome. And now I would like, where can I get one? Who should I talk to about this? Right. Yeah. And it was early days for me when I did that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, sweet. Okay. And didn't really take into a account of like how significant it that was. And I think that that's the key is education because when you can be anti the tool to the point where you're willing to go undercover at a seminar to gather the evidence to secretly film someone hurting a dog or doing something in a way that you think is, this is the evidence. This is how I'm going to sink this fucker. Yep. And then go, oh, that's not what has happened here. Mm-hmm. This is, you've presented a whole nother thing and now I'm on board. Yep. Right. And that was done without intention. I was just teaching what I was teaching. Yep. And I know, I'm pretty sure it was Larry said that he's had a very similar situation. There's probably been plenty of those. I've had them. Yeah. Yeah. I've had them. I've had students in NDTF who were planted there to cause mischief. Yeah. And have come up and said, you've changed my mind. Yeah. Changed my life, changed my mind. And so education is the key. Yeah. Education is the key. And so it's, it's not arguing. It's not complaining. Yep. It's saying like, hey, come in and have a chat. Like, mm. come in here and let us let me show you. Yep. Like, I can't, I would, I'm not prepared to make an enemy out of you. This is, you know, it's something that's really important to me at the moment. It's what we're talking about before. Like, I just am not prepared to be typecast into an argument with someone where someone wants to say to me, you and him are different. You shouldn't get along. Mm. And it's like, 
No. Let me decide that for myself. Yeah, I'll be the decider of whether or not we get along yeah. and let's ha- let's talk. Mm. And, you know, diversity is the key to success and everything, right? So let's let's chat it. Let's hash it out. Let's yep. see where we agree on things and let's see where we disagree on things. And mm. then let me explain my piece and I want you to listen. And when you explain your piece, I will genuinely listen with intent to understand, not to reply. Yeah. Right? And that's- That's so important. Yeah. So important. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. You know what my favorite part of that episode was? And this is what I want you guys to put into your reviews. What's that? The Mr. Whippy Poo on the Hedge story. (laughs) 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 I wonder if I took a photo of that. seems like something I would do. Maybe I can can still get those. You have to Insta-fame it. Yeah, maybe I can still get those Instagram likes. I have to go back through the archives see if I can find it. Yep. Maybe I can teach my current dog to do it and pretend that it. It was yep. from the past. Yeah, then you've got a whole bunch of followers who now let the dog shit on people's perfectly trim hedges. <laughs> it was a public space, all right? I yeah. don't know if that's any better or not. It, no. wasn't, it wasn't someone's hedge. That's, you know, that's some gardener who was doing his art. Like he's out there and he's yeah. thinking, you know, I'm, I'm fucking nailing this. I'm killing it. Yeah, the thing about I'm, art, though, is it's open to interpretation. And when you hang a painting- Well, you, you were proud to, of your dog's art. Yeah, and to improving, right? So like- uh, when you hang a painting, yeah. See, like this thing on your wall here, this this magical photo of you riding a motorbike that was taken by some gentleman on your ride, and yep. you've purchased from him. Yes, right. You have provided the lighting for that. You have provided the space for it, the context in which it will be viewed. Mm. You provided all that. Now, all I did with my dog was provide the context in which the beautiful hedge would be viewed. <laughs> <laughs> the elaboration that you've just put behind that argument is profound. Outrageous. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. Time to wrap it up. Yep. That's it mm. for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Be yep. specific. Yes. Talk about the poo. If you <laughs> want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. Jump into there. Uh, three bucks a month gets you extra episodes, but you can give as much as you like. And another way to support the show is teespring jump in there get some cool merch if you want to get in contact with us do that via the facebook group is best way to tr- like outsource training information if you hey, hang on just going back stuff. to the teespring thing for a second didn't you say zoe needy was supplying with some art yeah she emailed it to us we just haven't oh, put it in there i haven't seen it yeah it's in our email okay cool well i'll put that up and we will have some new merch too yeah so as i was about to say if you want to send us something specific like a design to put into the teespring you could email it to us. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. If but you're a budding artist and you want to be, uh, want to support the show and su- show some love. But presently, we have 427 unread emails. Ah. That's why we missed That's stuff. why we missed it. Yep. All right. So, yeah. Probably Sorry, need Zoe. to employ someone to read our emails for Just us. To, and to, to, to go through our spam. Yeah. Do you guys want to improve your website? Yeah, Do you want I know. To buy that's, five-star reviews? That's the majority of them. That's why we- it's on the website. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Goodbye.